small group this week, and uh, somebody uh, came in, and they, I was wearing a, a Kansas State t-shirt, and they said, oh, you're a Kansas, K-State fan. Uh, from what you said on Sunday, I thought maybe you were a KU fan. I, I thought to myself, well, we've got to straighten this out. Can't have that kind of reputation going around. That'll be bad, you know. And so uh, I thought about Kansas State uh, football, you know, football season. And, and uh, Bill Snyder is the K-State coach. He turned 78 this year. He's 78 years old. And just a couple of weeks ago, he signed a new five-year contract to uh, keep coaching at, at Kansas State. In 1989, he was hired as, as the K-State football coach, and a few weeks or months or right after he got hired, a, a reporter from Sports Illustrated called and said, uh, I want to do a story about your football team and, and uh, how historic it is. And, and Snyder thought, well, this can't be a bad deal. And, and the reporter went on to say, I want to I write about how historically bad the football program at Kansas State is, and in fact, it's it's the worst football program in the nation, and it's not close. and And so they they write this article. They come and they interview Snyder, and and uh, you know that's that's the situation that he walked into. And as he's hired, he's he starts to teach uh, these sixteen standards. You've maybe seen these sixteen goals that that Snyder uh, has at, at K State football. He he, he says uh, he wants his team to. To uh, have a goal of, of commitment to, co- to common goals and being successful, to be unselfish, that there's no I in team, to, to be unified, to come together as never before, to improve every day as a player, a person, and a student, to be tough mentally and physically, uh, to uh, exercise self-discipline, to do it right and not to accept less, to put forth great effort, to have enthusiasm, to eliminate mistakes and, and not beat yourself up, to never give up, ever, you know, never, 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 uh, to not accept losing. If you do one time, it'll be easy to do for the rest of your life, uh, to uh, have no self-limitations, to expect more of yourself, to expect to win and, and truly believe that we will, to, to exercise consistency, your very, very best uh, every time. Uh, to uh, exercise leadership that everyone can set an example, and finally to take uh, personal responsibility. You're responsible for your performance. Those are are 16 pretty good goals, I guess, to have in in really any organization and anybody's life and any facet of life. You know, if you you lived up to those 16 goals, you would would have some some pretty good standards to follow. Uh, And and I, I... Everybody's got to decide in their life, you know, by what standards are we going to live? And as followers of Jesus, well, he makes pretty clear that, you know, these are the standards. I'm your standard and and follow after me. And we can choose to have to live with godly standards in our life to place Jesus first. And and Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20, three lessons that will help us to do that, to, to have uh, his standards in our lives. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open them up to the, the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be in chapter 5. Take a look at uh, verses 17 through 20 this morning and the three lessons that te- Jesus teaches there as we strive to, to live our life with his standards. Uh, maybe you're using your uh, phone or mobile device to follow along this morning. You can find the outline on the YouVersion app, but better still, you can find that outline on the Wallula Christian Church app. 
And uh, you can fill in the blanks as you go along. The section of scripture, Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20, is present there. And uh, uh, so let's, let's take a look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. This is what God's word says. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. All right, so we're going to work our way through uh, rather carefully uh, these uh, few verses in Matthew chapter 5. Be ready to to jot down some notes and take some notes. There's going to be some other scripture that we're going to go take a look at throughout the New Testament. Just to understand this well just requires us to do a little bit of Bible study together. We don't often jump around quite as much as we will this morning, but uh, I, I think to really kind of handle it uh, as well as I can handle it, we're going to have to take a look at some other verses in the New Testament. We're, we want to learn these three lessons. Lesson number one is that Jesus fulfills the law. Uh, verse 17 says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Uh, Jesus talks about the law and the prophets. And, and kind of as we just begin our study this morning, we have to understand what Jesus means when he says the law and the prophets. The law spoke uh, most specifically of the first five books of the Old Testament. Uh, sometimes it refers to, to just the, the Ten Commandments or to those first five books. Uh, Sometimes when you read the word law in the New Testament, they're talking about the entirety of the Old Testament, kind of uh, all of Scripture up to that point. And certainly when Jesus talks about the law in the prophets, he's including all of that. Even, Even the books in the Old Testament that might fit somewhere kind of in between, that have a little bit of a different genre, maybe thinking about the Proverbs or the Psalms, some of the wisdom literature there. Uh, he's including all of that in, in, the, in that reference to the law and the prophets. And, and so when Jesus kind of centers our attention there, you know, one of the things he wants to communicate is, is that God's word is really important. If you want to understand uh, the standards by which you, you, know, you ought to live your life, then you need to pay attention to uh, the, the law. And, and he goes on to say, I, I didn't come to abolish you know, what God has taught before. I'm not, I'm not replacing God's word. He, he is the word. The New Testament teaches that Jesus is the word. I've, I've come to fulfill that. I'm not, I'm not putting an end to that. You know, we can kind of understand this. Sherry... Uh, we were talking one night after uh, work, and she said, well, today wasn't a very busy at school. Not many kids came in, and she's a school nurse, and so, you know, she wasn't that busy. And she said, so I, I watched uh, the Apple keynote presentation, and I said, wow. <laughs> you know, but she was excited to find out these new iPhones that were coming out. And every year, you know, there's the sort of newer, bigger, and better, literally bigger iPhones that, that come out in this new Apple Watch that was uh, coming out. She said, oh, man, it keeps track of your heart rate. And I thought, wow, 
you know, that, she was really interested in this. I kind of thought, you know, I don't know how much bigger a phone can get. My little hands, I can't hold a much bigger phone. In. But she, she wanted to know this technology, and I just realized I'm becoming a grumpier and grumpier older and older man, right? I mean, I'm just not, I can't keep up with this new technology, it seems like. And every year something new comes out, and then the old technology, you know, is just sort of obsolete. You know, it, you, you, gotta, you better get this bigger and better, uh, you know, device. You better figure this new technology out. You better keep up because everything before it sort of becomes obsolete. And Jesus said, that's not what I'm doing. You know, I'm not here to make God's word, his law, the, uh, the scripture that we're following, his standards that he's set. I'm not here to make that obsolete, to go away, but rather I'm here to fulfill the law, he said. I've not come to abolish them but to fulfill them. Man, that's a really awesome answer, isn't it? That, that is a, sort of uh, almost like, a, like a, a catchphrase or some, an answer that maybe a politician would give, and you go, oh, yeah, that's really smooth. That, that makes a lot of sense. And, and then you think about it, and you think, well, what in the world does he mean? You know, what's it really mean to fulfill the law and the prophets, to fulfill God's law? Some typical answers from scholars would, would sound like this, that Jesus fulfills the Old Testament law by uh, meeting or fulfilling the prophecy, over 300 prophecies of Messiah in, in the Old Testament that Jesus fulfills, that he, well, they come true in Jesus, you know, that sort of idea. And so he fulfills Old Testament prophecy. Some scholars would say Jesus fulfills the law in that he lives out the law in complete obedience. In fact, Jesus is the only uh, person ever in the in the history of of mankind to live out in complete obedience to the law and so maybe in that way jesus fulfills the law other scholars would say well jesus fulfills the law in that he he pays the penalty of the law and so he goes to the cross and he 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 dies in in our place and so he fulfills the penalty of the law and i would say to those three responses yes you know, all three of those responses is true. But I think when Jesus fulfills the law, he's talking about something even bigger, even deeper, even, even more meaningful. Not, you know, those three are big, aren't they? They're important, huh? But Jesus means something else. In fact, when you look at the Greek word that we translate as fulfill, fulfill it literally means to be filled. You know, I, I had a phone call this week, and, and uh, some members from Wallula who have passed away. Their daughter called me and said, hey, my mom, this is the anniversary of my mom's passing. We want to make this donation. And what do you think, you know, what do you think we can give this donation towards that would make my mom happy and proud? And so we kind of talked about that. But I thought about this couple this week because of that phone call. And I remember uh, one time many years ago, probably 10 years ago, I preached a sermon and I told a story about running out of gas. I mean, it was embarrassing then. It's still embarrassing now, right? And I told the sermon about running out of gas. And, and this older gentleman uh, on my way out, he said, hey, Lance, you know, I need to talk to you. And I said, okay. I, I thought, oh, man, what did I blow? And he said, you know, you ran out of gas and you know how you solved that. And I said, no, <laughs> well, kind of, but what, what, what do you want to say? He said, well, you know, you, you need to drive on the top half. And I said, well, I've never heard this. You know, what do you mean? He said, well, when I get to my gas tank halfway empty, I go fill it up. So you're always driving on the top half. You know, you're, you're always filling it up. And, and I thought, well, that's, that's a good advice that I haven't followed to this day, right? But that's really good advice. 
you know, drive on that top half. And, and when this Greek word that means to be fulfilled means to fill up, to be filled. And, and I think part of the way that Jesus, Jesus comes to fulfill the law because he, he meets those prophecies in the Old Testament. He fulfills them because he obeys the law for sure, because he pays the penalty of the law for sure. He comes with this purpose, with this mission to live. And in fact, it's even, it's even kind of in this verse. I, I hate to use the terminology of hidden, but we might rush past it. It's not hidden, but we might rush past this, right? Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I have not come. Maybe Jesus is trying to communicate that I've come from somewhere, right? That I've left paradise, I've left heaven to enter into this world, to be man, to, to, to die in your place. He's, he's made it that far. I, that could be. I think that he's trying to communicate a little bit that I've come on mission, that I have this purpose, that I keep moving, that I'm living on that top half, and, and that I, I have a purpose to fulfill. And, and even as I have a purpose to fulfill, you have a purpose to fulfill. As my hands and feet, as my disciples, as my team, as my family, you've got this mission to live out. And so just as, as Jesus fulfilled the law and he's living on mission, then he turns that mission or, or allows us to, to participate in that mission with us. Understand that Jesus has done the heavy lifting. You know, those, those three things, those three different ways that Jesus fulfills the law, that's the heavy lifting, huh? He's, he's met those prophecies. He's obeyed the law completely. He's paid the, the price that, that we can't afford to pay, that we, can't, that we can't pay on our own. He's paid that. He's done all of this heavy lifting. He's invited us now to be a part of his family, and he's fulfilled the law in those ways. He fulfills the law by continuing to live on mission, by including us in mission. One preacher said that ultimately Jesus did not fulfill the law by what he did, but by who he is. And the mission that he lives and how we can know him, and as we know him, be included in his mission and follow after him. So lesson number one is that Jesus fulfills the law. Lesson number two is that we need the law. Let's take a look at verse 18. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. All right, now this is where it really starts to get a little hairy, kind of theologically and understanding what, what's happening. Because Jesus, he makes a pretty big statement. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. All right, so what's the timeline there? Okay, not until the earth and the heavens have disappeared. All right, I want you to look around and just determine if the earth and the heavens have disappeared. Right, they, they haven't yet, huh? I mean, we're still here. We're still going. You know, this world still exists. And so Jesus says, not until that point Will, will any little small part of the law be, be done away with, be, be gone? He, he uses this phrase, you know, this, this uh, uh, smallest letter or stroke of a pen. Uh, uh, you, you, the, the Jesus' language, he would say in the 
his language, he'd say a jot and a tittle, which doesn't make a lot of sense to us, right? But that's just, that's literally just a little part of the letter. And, and just like an apostrophe, uh, we kind of have a phrase in English like that, don't we? We, we say, you know, we, we dot our I's and we cross our T's. And what do we mean by that? Well, we mean we're really going to pay attention to the detail. And we know that this is true, that if you just change one little letter, if we just change one little part in a letter, and when we think about even writing in English, this makes sense, right? What's the difference between an I and a lowercase l? Well, it's a dot. You know, what, what's the difference between a C and an S? Well, an S is really a C with a tail. You know, there, there's just not much difference. Have you ever, uh, speaking of technology and communication and all of that, I've, I've sent texts before and, and you know, you're asking a question and, and somebody responds and then, you know, in, as you're typing your response, they ask another question and so the conversation sort of gets out of order. Do you know what I mean? Has that ever happened to you? You're kind of following along and maybe you make an, a mistake or an autocorrect and you're like, oh, laugh out loud. You know, this is what I really meant. But before you can do that, they respond. And, and maybe it looks like this text message. You know, I imagine this is probably some poor boyfriend who is missing, you know, his, his girlfriend. And he says, I miss you. Come over. And, and she responds by saying, I'm too fat. And, and uh, he's, he's going to try to help here. He says, well, you can start coming to the gym with me tomorrow. And, and sort of as he's typing that response and presses send, you know, she, she responds by saying, you know, laugh out loud, I'm too far, not too fat. Well, it's too late, isn't it? You know, I, I don't know whether or not she came over. If she did, I bet he wishes that she had not. It was just too late. And just that little change is too much. You know, it, it makes all of the difference. And, and so Jesus is communicating that, hey, we have to pay attention to the, to the law, to God's word. Jesus makes this case that we need the law. Lesson number two. Now, as we unpack the rest of the New Testament, that becomes a statement that we have to really wrestle with. After all, in, in, in Colossians uh, chapter 2, in Colossians chapter 2, uh, verses 13 through 14, Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 14, God's word says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And so uh, when we kind of uh, read, you know, statements like that in the New Testament that, that seem to contradict what Jesus just said, you know, until the earth and the heavens pass away, you know, even the smallest detail of the law will, will be important and you better pay attention to it. And then later in the New Testament, we read verses like this. Well, you know, Jesus nailed it to the cross. You know, that written code, not so important anymore, would seem to be the meaning of this verse. Well, let, let's sort of work our way through here and, and try to understand and try to figure out what we know about the law. Why might the law be important? What do we know about it? I think the first thing we know about it is, is taught in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verses 27 to uh, 31. Romans chapter 3, verses 27 
to, to 31 uh, teaches us that Christians aren't saved by the law. Where then is boasting? It's excluded on what principle? On that observa- observing of the law? No, but uh, on that of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from ob- observing the law. Is God the God of the Jews only? Is he the God of the Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law through this faith. We're not saved by the faith. In Romans chapter 3, verses 27 to 31, Christians aren't saved, aren't saved by the law. Now, that we might say, well, yeah, obviously followers of Jesus aren't saved by the law. And, and sometimes we put this standard and we try to make sense of, of what's going on when Jesus talks about the law and the gospels by saying, well, you know, the Jews were trying to be saved by following the law. Except if you asked any rabbi in Jesus' day, they wouldn't tell you they were saved by following the law. They would tell you they were saved by being chosen by God, by being part of, of the elect, by being God's chosen people, and by through faith to the promise made to Abraham. Now, they might also say that, yeah, you can get kicked out of the club, you can get kicked out of the family if you don't follow this law, if you don't pay attention to it. But they wouldn't, they wouldn't say that they were saved through the law. The law doesn't save Christians. It's never saved anybody. And in fact, this, this promise made to Abraham was some 400 years before the law was written. So the first thing we know about the law is that it, it doesn't save us. The second thing that we know about the law is that we, we, we need the law. It really is a beneficial and important gift. Let's, let's go on and look at, at, uh, at Psalm 119.11. For I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Right? If we, if we study the law and pay attention to the law, then it can provide us with direction in our life. We can, we can live... Uh, more closely following after God's example, and it, it can point us in the right direction. We can live on the right path. We can, we can understand the law so that we might not sin against God. Look at Romans. This is maybe the most important uh, reason that the law is, is, exists and why we should pay attention to it. In Romans chapter 7, verses 7 through 13, this is a, a long section of Scripture. And, and, and just write down that reference and, and go look at it. Romans chapter 7, verses 7 through 13 says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, Do not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous covetous desire. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me and through the commandment put me to death. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means, but in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me. Uh, though what was good, through what was good, so that uh, through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. That's a really long way to say that the law points out what sin is. It makes it apparent in our life that every one of us is a sinner, that we fall short of God's standard, 
and it, it illustrates for us, it points out for us, it makes crystal clear that because we are a sinner, because we fall short of God's standard, we miss his mark, that we are all, every one of us, in desperate need of a Savior. And so the law is this gift because it can point us in the right direction. We can know it and learn it so that we can live after God. And it more importantly points out to the fact that every one of us misses that mark and that we are in desperate need of a Savior. Now you go on in the New Testament and you read in places like Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 to 25. Uh, Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. And so the New Testament teaches that uh, the the, the church is is today not bound by the specific requirements of the written code. All right, that, that it's a gift to point us in the right direction, that it's a gift to help us understand uh, that we are a sinner and that we're in desperate need of a Savior. Uh, but even verses like Acts chapter 15, verses 28 to 29, it recounts the story of the Jerusalem Council where the earliest church got together and said, hey, do, do Gentiles, as they come to faith in Jesus, as they choose to follow after Jesus, are, we, do, are they required to follow this Old Testament law? And, 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 and Acts chapter uh, 15 kind of sets the standard there for the early church. And so understanding that, what do we do with the rest of, of Matthew chapter 5, verses 19 and, uh, and 20? You know, how do we continue? It makes 19 and 20 uh, sort of uh, difficult to understand. And so let's go on and let's look at that as we consider this lesson number three, that the law and the kingdom go together. Look at verses 19 and 20. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. For whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commandments will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. You know, verse 19, as we, as we begin to understand that the law and the kingdom go together, uh, verse 19 teaches us that, that Jesus says, hey, what we do in this life matters. You think about a coach like Bill Snyder, and what all coaches will tell you is that what you do in practice really matters in the game. The outcome of the game matters on how you practice. You'll play like you practice. You've heard maybe coaches uh, say that, and essentially that is what Jesus is communicating, that what we do in this life really, really matters. Oh, just this is extra, sort of. But by the way, do you notice in verse 19 that Jesus expects every one of us to be to be setting this example, to be leading this out, to to be discipling somebody, to be to be uh, uh, 
in leadership in, in some way or another, anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. We all have this responsibility to be, to be a, a living out a, our, our life in Christ and to be setting example for others. Now, maybe that, maybe that rests in our home as, as parents, as, as fathers in our home, to be leading in our home as, as spiritual leaders and, and living out the standards of God so that our kids and, and, and folks around us can, can see that, the difference that he's made in our life. Maybe that is, is in our workplace where we, we live out those standards so that others can see the difference that he's made in our life. Maybe that's leading in, in some way in, in, in like our small group setting here and the discipleship process that goes on here at Wallula Christian Church. I'm, I'm so uh, proud of some uh, of these small groups, all of our small groups, but I, I'm thinking specifically of, of uh, as, as I think about this, hey, everybody has somebody to lead and the new testament talks talks about more mature women leading uh, the younger women and more mature men leading the younger men i think about you know this these women's uh, groups that we have especially this new uh, small group uh, uh, for moms and and uh, the more mature moms uh, leading in, in in scripture and teaching in scripture and and guiding and and being an example and discipling you know younger moms how cool that is i'm thinking about this new men's group that was started this last year in, in the men's group that has met for years and on Tuesday morning, and I'm sort of amazed by that Tuesday morning group as well. I, I meet at like 4.30 in the morning. It's terrible, you know. I, I don't know, 6 in the morning, whatever it is. And, and they get together, and, and the generational group that, that that group represents is pretty cool. More mature Christian men leading and discipling younger Christian men. And this, this new small group that has started in the, the range of generations, again, represented in that, that group, that the, the, those folks are living out this responsibility of, of discipleship and guiding and having somebody to lead. And, and certainly we ought to pay attention to that. That's part of what Jesus is teaching in verse 19. Uh, he goes on in verse 20, and this is the real kicker. You know, this is where it really gets, uh, what, w- how are we going to figure this out? Verse 20 says, For I tell you the, uh, the truth, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. Now this is when maybe I should have thought uh, and I I should have said that lesson number three is really that the fulfilled law and the kingdom go together. Because I want you to understand the standard that Jesus lays out. All right, you need to understand who the Pharisees were. In the Old Testament, there were 613 laws. If you just break out uh, all the laws, front to back, and print them on a piece of paper, it comes out to 36 pages, you know, of, of rules. And the Pharisees were, were teachers of the law. They were, they were folks who paid so close attention to these 613 laws and following them that they would break each one out, and they'd have specific standards in the middle of each one of those laws to help them live out those laws as specifically as they could. Their righteousness was this really, really broad righteousness. It maybe wasn't very deep, but it went, it was really broad. I, I was trying to think of a way that we could communicate that would make sense to, to, to us today, and I thought uh, while I was driving down the highway, you know, there's a speed limit on the highway, and the truth is, is that when we see that speed limit, every one of us has a number, don't we? We have a number that to us is what the speed limit really means. 
You know, for some of us, it might be, well, three miles over the speed limit or five miles over the speed limit or maybe seven miles over the speed limit. Or for a few of us, you know, you're going to say, well, it's, you know, it's three miles under the speed limit or five miles under the speed limit. And you'd be lying, but you, you would say that. You know, we all have this number, don't we? And what is that number? That number is how much over the speed limit I can go before I will get caught. And that's sort of how we, we live that out. And Well, the Pharisees were those folks that, you know, I, I jokingly said well, they'd be lying. You know, they would have this set of requirements and rules that would help them to stay under the speed limit all the time, no matter what. They were trying to do that. It was this broad, broad righteousness. And if, if we read verse 20 to understand that, hey, Lance, you have to have this broad righteousness that the Pharisees in Jesus' day exercised in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven, to be a part of his family, to be a part of his team, at least a guy like me. And really, if we believe the verses we read in Romans this morning, then every one of us, Man, we are in real trouble because we don't live out that broad righteousness. Now, the great news is, is that I, Jesus, I don't think, is talking about that broad righteousness. The whole point of, of uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20, is that Jesus wants us to live this, this deep righteousness that he talks about in verses like Matthew chapter 7, uh, verse 12 where he says, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Love others well, because that's the totality of the law. Or in Matthew uh, chapter 22, uh, verses 36 to 40, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. To live a life like Jesus, filled with love and filled with service. In fact, the rabbis in Jesus' day would all answer, understanding that this truth in Luke chapter 10... Luke chapter 10, verse 26 and 27. Where Jesus is having a, a conversation with a, with a rabbi and a teacher of the law in Luke chapter 10, uh, verses 26 and 27. What is written in the law, Jesus asked. He replied, uh, how do you read it, Jesus asked. And, and the teacher of the law uh, replied, he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus is talking about not this broad righteousness, but this deep righteousness. That Jesus doesn't fulfill the law so much in what he did, but in who he is. And the righteousness that he offers for us, that he makes available for us, is when we give in to him. And when we begin this relationship with him, him the law of Christ is love. And all the law and all the prophets points to Jesus. And as we want to try to live with, with godly standards in our life, we have to see those standards as pointing and being fulfilled and, and, and driving us toward Jesus. 
And for sure, when we say yes to him and we begin a relationship with him, we're going to find ourselves living more and more up to those standards. We'll take more and more seriously Psalm 119.11, that we hide his word in our heart so that we might not sin against him. You know, Bill Snyder started coaching uh, at K-State in 1989. He had these 16 goals in 1989. He said, this is what's important. He came in and he was, he was t- teaching his players, you know, this was important. He was interviewed for that article in Sports Illustrated. And he told the reporter, hey, we're going to be as good as we can be this season. And then he made this promise. Because they were 0-11 the year before, he said, I promise we won't be 0-11. He had these standards, these goals for his players, and he made this promise that they wouldn't be 0-11. You know what they were? Bill Snyder's first year at K-State, 1-10. 1-10. The next year, they were like 5-7. The next year, they were 6-4. The year after that, back to 5-7. The year after that, 8-4. And, and then 10-2. and two. And then 11 and 1 and 10 and 2 and 11 and 1. And it kind of snowballs from there. And he, he's competing for national championships. He's living up. That team, that program is living under those 16 goals. These standards that this coach has put in place. But man, it was a process, huh? You know, that relationship started. And as that relationship grew, they started to, to meet those standards more and more. Well, God's law and his prophets points us to this relationship with Jesus, to the righteousness, this righteousness of love that we can live out in our lives. And as we begin that relationship, we can grow more and more into that person. Let's stand and worship Jesus.